We are in the book of Romans, and uh, we're going into chapter 2 and 3 here today. We have been in chapter 1 where Paul speaks about various types of sins and that God will judge all sin, no matter who it is or where it is, he will judge sin, period. And even those who have once knew God, if they fall away from God, God will judge them in their sins and so forth. And when you get into chapter 2 and 3, uh, Paul then goes into his major concern in the book of Romans that he wants to talk to the Roman people about. And that is that he wants to talk to them about the principles of salvation because there were Christian Jews who were trying to persuade the Romans that they had to become, they had to come under the law and to obey the laws of the Old Testament in order to be fully, a fully a bonafide Christian. And Paul said, no, no, that's not the way it is. I'm going to give you some scriptures here in just a moment to, uh, to show you how that all developed. But the book of Romans itself was written about 57, 58 BC. That was something like around 20, 27, 28 years after Christ was crucified. And he's crucified around 30 AD. And uh, so this almost 30 years had lapsed whenever Paul wrote this book. He wrote it from the city of Corinth. And he had never been to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome, and he kept, he kept saying or said it in two or three places in the book of Romans, uh, I have a desire to come to you and to talk to you and to uh, teach you and so forth. So Paul knew that his position as the apostle to the Gentiles, that it was very important for him to see the Romans and talk to them. And he knew that their faith was being messed with. That, that is, it was being uh, influenced by some of those who felt like they had to still come under the law. Now, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that and show you in Scripture. So when you go into chapters 2 and 3, Paul goes into this, uh, this uh, area of defending the right uh, to believe in Jesus Christ only, not just to believe in him and not have to believe in the law. It wasn't the law that saved us. And we have, to, we have to have the law with Christ. We just have to have Christ. And we have Christ, we have, we have it all. And Paul talks about that. And that's basic, basically called the principles of salvation. So in the epistles, which are the letters written to the churches, all those books that follow the book of Acts, in the epistles, uh, the apostles, especially Paul writing, uh, he emphasizes more than anything else the, uh, the principles and the the, and how to live for God, how to serve the Lord, and the, the, called the practicalities. So the principles of salvation brought out in Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, extensively. Uh, in some of the other books like First First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Thessalonians, uh, Colossians, and so forth, and Philippians, and these other epistles, uh, he mem- emphasizes a lot with the principality. The, the prince. Uh, the uh, uh, I lost the word. Anyhow, the how to live for God, how to serve the Lord, you know, the practicalities of salvation. So uh, in these things, Paul brings then in Romans, he brings out the principle. I want to talk to you a little bit about it, and I'm going to try to make it as plain as I can because Paul was dealing with a thing in his day that is still being dealt with today. And I thank God that it was ever put in the Word of God because we have something then we can look at and fall back on and know this is what the Word of God says. So 
And I'm going to start with the book of uh, Acts. I want you to go to Acts chapter 15 with me and just give me your undivided attention. Look at chapter, verse 4, 15, 4, and we'll come back to Romans in a few minutes. But in the 15th chapter of, uh, of Acts, Paul, who had been converted on the road to Damascus, he was a staunch Jew, a staunch believer in the law. The Lord appeared to him as a bright sun, a brighter than the noonday sun, said, Paul, why did thou persecutest me? He said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. And then from there, the Lord called Paul. And from that point on, Paul believed in Jesus Christ with all of his heart, and he knew everything was in Jesus Christ. When Paul was converted, the first thing he did was to go out into the desert outside of Syria, which is, which, I mean, Damascus, which is in west, eastern Syria, and he went out there for three years. Paul stayed by himself and restudied the law of the Old Testament for three years. He sought God. He prayed. He read scriptures. He sought it for three years. He did that. And when he was through, he came back into Damascus. And he had a complete understanding of how that the dispensation of grace, which is what Jesus had brought, was a fulfillment of that that was under the law of Moses. He understood it perfectly. And he knew that it was important for him to understand that because he was to be the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles because the Lord said, I have saved you that you would lead many people from many nations and speak witness to kings about my name and so forth. So when Paul did that, he came back to Damascus, preached some, they had led him out of this. He caused such a ruckus among all those Jews until they had to slip him out of Damascus. He went down to uh, Jerusalem. All the Christians were afraid of him because they knew he had persecuted the early church. And uh, so finally Peter and James and John and Andrew and those leading apostles, they all met with him and everything and they gave him the right hand of fellowship said, Paul, you're definitely one of us. You're a Christian, God bless you. Uh, go win many souls and, and, he, and he was sent on his way. And so from there, Paul went on out then and began to uh, labor and minister, and he went to different places. And he went on his first missionary journey, came and had many miracles that happened, people getting saved, being filled with the Holy Ghost, Ghost, and, and, uh, and he came back, and then he made his journey back down to Jerusalem. And that's what this 15th chapter is. He brought back the report of how God was saving Gentiles. Everybody still with me? Now, look at the 15th. I'm in the book of Acts right now. Look at chapter 15 uh, and verse 4. This is uh, him and Barnabas coming together. Uh, Silas, rather, I think it is. Barnabas, I'm sorry. Him and Barnabas, Barnabas together. He and Barnabas traveled first together, and then later him and Silas. But in the fourth verse, and when they were come to Jerusalem, they were, were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. And they just said, man, you ought to know what, and they talked about these miracles, how God opened blinded eyes, how he made the lame to walk, all the miracles that these Jews were, had been seeing also among the Jewish people when God would save them. And so in the fourth verse it says, and when they were come to Jerusalem, I'm sorry, in the fifth verse it says, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. And these were Christian Jews, but they held fast to the Phariseeistic beliefs that you had to stay with the Old Testament law. They were very strict on that. 
and very definite about it. And Jesus, as you know, dealt with the Pharisees and, of course, the Sadducees and scribes whenever in his ministry. But the Pharisees were a self-righteous group, and they believed that you had to stay with the law. So these were Pharisees who were also Christians. They believed Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They followed him, but they believed that everybody who got saved had to come under the law. That means that all males had to be circumcised. That means they all had to come to Jerusalem three times a year and make and offer sacrifices because the temple still stood in those days and they thought that was required of them and so forth. So it goes on to say, uh, but there arose a certain group of the Pharisees which believed saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. This is talking about the Gentiles. And uh, verse 6, and the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. Okay, so they talked about it. Uh, verse, the first one who spoke about it was verse 7, and that is where Peter, it says, and when there had been much disputing, Peter rose and said. Now, Peter gave his talks about it, and this is what he finally concludes down in verse 10. I'm saving time here, 15, 10. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God, this is Peter yet speaking to them, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they, that is, these Gentiles were saved. And so, and so they heard from Peter. And then the next part of it says in verse 12, then all the multitude kept silent and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So first he talked to them about what the miracles had done to the apostles, now it is to the whole multitude. Now in verse 13, now James speaks. James was the uh, pastor of the church of Jerusalem. He was also uh, the son of Mary and Joseph, making him the half-brother of Jesus in the sense that they both were were sons of, of Mary. And of course, God was the father of Jesus, as you well know, and everything. So James was a very important person, a very respected uh, leader, and he was the pastor of that church in Jerusalem back then. And that church in Jerusalem at that time was, a, uh, was about 5,000. It even got as large as 10,000 people back in that early church period of time. And then James, so verse 13 says, after that they held their peace, and James answered, saying, so James stood up and spoke to them as well and pretty well confirmed what Peter had said. And down in verse 19, wherefore my sentence is, this is James speaking now, verse 19, my sentence is that we trouble not them, which, there, which were the Gentiles, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication, from things strangled and from blood. Basically, this we'll ask them to do and that was the commandments given, not just under the law, but before the law. That was commandments. If you look in the 8th and ninth chapter of the book of Genesis, that was what God instructed the people to do when they, Noah and his three sons and their wives when they came out of the ark. So it, that, that commandment went way back. And uh, that was a uh, universal covenant that they had with all mankind, the Lord had with them. So they said that they would abstain from that and follow that. And uh, then they uh, took certain people, uh, this was Silas and so forth, and said, now go to Antioch and take a letter with you and explain this to some of those Gentile people so that Paul and uh, Silas, 
now can go out and minister and nobody will say anything about it. Verse 24, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words. This is in the letter now. Subverting your soul, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. This is the apostles now and they all signed this letter. It seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. And with them went Silas and another one named Judas, who went with not Judas Iscariot, of course, but another one and so forth. And then he, in the letter, it repeats the same thing that he had said, verse 29, that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from that which if you keep yourself, ye shall do well, fare ye well. And this was the letter. And so they took that letter with them and they read it. And from then Paul went back uh, then up to that city where they had been and in Caesarea. Then they, from there, they went out on his second missionary journey and later the third missionary journey and began to preach the gospel and the Gentiles kept being saved in all of these churches he went to. However, these Christian Pharisees didn't give it up. They didn't say, okay, the apostles have all agreed everything. We still believe that you got to keep the law. And so they would try to follow up behind Paul's conversion, go to these churches and say, oh, yeah, we're a Christian, we're that. And then they would say, you know, there's certain things we got to keep. There's certain things we got to remember that we've got to still do and everything. And they, so they begin to insert their beliefs. And Paul, in writing letters to the churches, which he wrote, uh, he would have to sometime explain to them why you do not have to keep the law. And that's what Romans is all about. And he talks about these things. And he talks about some of the things that they talked about, of course, was uh, you got to keep the seventh day. You got to always worship on Saturday. The early church always worshiped on Sunday because it was called the day of the Lord. It was the day of the resurrection. So the early church made the day of the resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, to be their day of worship. So the early church worshiped there. But those who were the Pharisees of Christianity, they said, no, 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 we got to always respect the law. And we've got to go back and keep the seventh day and so forth. And uh, others of them said, you, you got to eat. You can't just eat any kind of meat. You've got to eat the meat that's under the law. There were certain clean meats. There were certain meats you could eat, certain meats you couldn't eat. And uh, so you've got to keep that. You've got to obey that law. And uh, so they would, uh, they would try to say, no, no, you, you can't do this. You can't do that. So they had all kinds of restrictions they began to put on these Gentiles who were just Gentiles who were not under the law and didn't keep the law. And as far as meats were concerned, if you didn't kill them, they ate it, you know. And, uh, and so forth, you know. Uh, there's, in Asia, there's people who eat dog, you know. Well, I don't want to eat any dog. Uh, and uh, there's some place where they eat horse. I don't eat horse, you know. But anyhow, there are some foods that they, under the law they won't eat. They won't eat pork. Well, I eat pork, and many of you do too, you know. You, eat, you know, they don't believe in eating lobster. We, do, we eat lobster. They don't believe in eating shrimp. We eat shrimp, you know. I mean, it goes on and on, the things that we, we eat and, can't, and we don't eat. But I'm just trying to say to you here that the Lord had showed Peter in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts when he let that sheet down to him. He said, slay and eat. And he said, no, no, Lord, these are all unclean animals. I have never eaten anything unclean in my life. The Lord says, slay and eat, for nothing I have made is unclean. And he let the sheet down three times and said, and said to Peter, slay and eat. Well, Peter was hungry at that time. He was fixing to eat his, his lunch or dinner or whatever. 
and it kept coming down and everything. And he said, no, Lord. And he had this vision. And finally, there was a knock on the door, and these men had come and said, we are from Cornelius' household, and he wanted you to come and tell these Gentiles what they got to do to be saved. And so Peter understood the Lord was talking to him about all people being saved. But in doing that, he used this thing about different kinds of meats. Let me, let me read a, f a few verses to you here. Uh, and uh, what, Paul what, uh, what Paul does in, verse, in chapter 3 of Romans, and I'm jumping back in Romans here, 20, this is what the purpose of the law was for. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. In other words, all these deeds that you do in the law, you're not going to be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law was given that we might know what is right, what is wrong, and so forth. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, they had already foretold that our day and our time would come. So Paul talks about that. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. You see, folks, we cannot be saved by our own righteousness. We can only be saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was perfect, and he was perfectly righteous. I mean, he was righteous in the total sense of the word. He was holy. He was righteous and everything. And, our, and we must put on the righteousness of Christ. Our righteousness will not do it. What we do in living for God in, in holiness and in, in keeping our lives clean is to follow, praise the Lord, holiness, because the Lord said, be ye holy, for I am holy. And we follow the holiness of the Lord and we put on the righteousness of God. That's why it's important to have the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit helps us to be holy. It helps us to be holy. It is not us being holy within ourselves that we are made holy, but it is that we obey the word of God and we keep maintain holiness in our lives in respect to God and because he is holy, therefore we attempt and we try and we work to be holy. And the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit in us helps us to be holy. You've got to have the Holy Ghost to live the life that God wants us to live. It gives you the desire. It gives you that desire. When I first got the Holy Ghost, I, could, I couldn't wait to get to church. Me? Ellis Myers? Wants to go to church? I didn't want to. I mean, as, as a teenager growing up, I was saved at 16. But... A teenager growing up, I, I, didn't, I didn't care about going to church. You got to, you know, let's go to Sunday school. Go to, uh, I don't want to go to Sunday school. You know, kids, you know. But when I got the Holy Ghost, man, I was the first guy outside the door waiting for somebody to come unlock and open it up so I go to church. I couldn't wait to worship. I couldn't wait to get in it. And you know what? I'm still that way. I love church. God bless you folks. I love coming here and being with all of you and us all worshiping God and praising the Lord. Thank God for it. But Paul was letting us know that it's not justification within ourselves, but it is justification within Jesus Christ himself. Praise the Lord that we are made just in, in the Lord. Now, uh, Paul begins to talk certain things, and he says, now, some of you are being deceived by different people. Now, let me just say this. There are those who will crop up once in a while and say, oh, you can't just be saved living for God. There's some things you've got to change. Now listen to me closely on this. Uh, baptizing in Jesus' name is not the way to baptize. No. It says it in the book. 
I got a Bible. I mean, there's millions of Bibles all over the, the English-speaking world. I'm talking about the English-speaking Bible. There's the English Bible everywhere. And it says, you know, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, remission of sin. And it goes on to talk about how all of those were baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 10, chapter 19, Acts chapter 8, all talks about all that. And you telling me now that I don't baptize? No, no, you have to be baptized in the name of Yahashua. What was it? What's that? What's that again? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, then they explained it. Yahashua is the Hebrew term for the name Jesus. And while that may be correct, the early church in the days of Jesus did not speak Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic or Greek. You know, Jesus is the Greek form of the word Yahashua. The Jews did not have a J. They had, they have, the, the Hebrew language has 22 letters and the, the, uh, our, language, our alphabet has 26 letters. And they have, only have 22 letters. They do not have the J, so they use the Y. The Y is their, is their letter. That's why they say Jerusalem. Or, and they, but they pronounce it with a little bit more. We say Yuh, they say Zh, so they say Jerusalem. And so that we, we say, okay, that's Jerusalem. You, know, you, you understand what I'm saying? So it's going from one language to another, and even letters that we don't have, they have, they have, that we don't have, and so forth. Now, I'm pointing all that out to you to say that Yahashua was that old Hebrew word, but in the early church, they spoke, he, they, they spoke Greek as a universal language. They spoke Latin as, a, as, a, uh, as an administrative or a governmental language, and they spoke, uh, they spoke uh, another language uh, among the Jewish people that was not Hebrew. Pure Hebrew had been lost. That's why when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Eli, Eli, Lamak Sabachthani. And they said, what's he saying? What's he saying? He said, I don't know. He said something about Eli, Eli. But the Bible gives the interpretation. Being interpreted is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's what Jesus said on the cross. But he said it in pure Hebrew. And what he, why he said it in pure Hebrew is because that's the way it was written in the book of Psalms in chapter 22, verse 1. When it starts out talking about the crucifixion, a prophecy of the crucifixion, David wrote this, King David. And, and he was moved on by the Lord and he prophesied of the crucifixion of Jesus, how Jesus felt on the cross. And he started out by saying, Eli, Eli, Lamech, Sabathani, in the pure Hebrew. And so it was written in the pure Hebrew. But the people of the Jewish people of Jesus' day did not know the pure Hebrew. They, they spoke that Aramaic language if they spoke Hebrew at all. You understand what I'm saying? So if somebody comes around and says, oh, you've got to now say this all in pure Hebrew. That's not the way the early church did it. The early church didn't do it that way. But somebody come along and say, oh, you've got to do it, you've got to do it that way. And I, and I say to myself, okay, does that mean that if I do something in the name of Jesus, it's not effective? If I baptize in Jesus' name... Like I, you know, English, you know, and I think if you're Spanish, you say, uh, 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 I can't even say it right now. Uh, somebody help me out here. Jesus, Jesus, yes, thank you. Uh, the, the name of Jesus, is, that's the way they pronounce it, but it's still, it's still Jesus' name, you know. Well, they're saying, no, you got to do it differently. And is that saying that in the name of Jesus or Jesus or whatever language that the name is pronounced in, that it's not right? If that's not right, why is it that people get the Holy Ghost when you pray for them in the name of Jesus? Why is it that people get healed when you pray for them in the name of Jesus? 
I remember many years ago, my wife and I were on an evangelistic field and we were in Crawfordville, Indiana and uh, with the, they're preaching for a pastor by the name of Wright, Brother Wright. And uh, Brother Wright, uh, we, we had a healing service one night. He was a strong believer in healing. And uh, there was a blind boy, 12-year-old blind boy that came to the altar to be prayed for, for his eyes, for healing. And he came up and we laid hands on him and prayed for him. And I will never forget as long as I live, my hands being on him and all of a sudden my hand being popped up like that. And he was jumping up and down, his eyes open, and he was looking at a picture on the baptistry, behind the baptistry. You know how they have sometimes the baptistry's open and you, there's a painting or a picture behind it. And there was a picture of Jesus holding the, a lamb in his arm and, and, uh, and so forth. And he said, I see that picture, I see that picture. I see that. And he turned that whole church upside down. His grandfather brought him to church and said, I'm going to take him there and see if he can be prayed for and be healed. And he was totally healed of blindness. You don't, you don't think we didn't have a revival in that little town of Cropsville, Indiana? We sure did, because God performed a miracle at the name of Jesus. We never said, Yahshua. We, we just said the name of Jesus. And God honored that. Praise the Lord, and God honors it. I remember praying for a woman one time that was paralyzed. She had been sent home. This was up in Fort St. Joe, Florida. She had been sent home because she had a brain tumor. She was paralyzed on her right side of her head. She was paralyzed on her total right side, but not move. She's in a wheelchair, and they sent her home from Shane's Hospital because they said, we've got to shave your head and operate on your head and take the brain tumor out. And she says, no, I've never had my hair cut. I never had it cut. And that's because it's in the Bible, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I mean 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Read it sometime if you ladies don't believe in that. But anyhow, the early church never cut their hair. The ladies didn't. And so she said, I, don't, I will not have my hair cut. And I want to go back home and be prayed for. And they said, all right. Okay, you only got a few days. Go home, do it, and come back, and then we're going to operate. This was at Shane's Hospital in, in, uh, in, in uh, uh, wait, Gainesville. Yeah, thank you, Gainesville. So she went home, and she called me and said, Brother Myers, I want you to pray for me. And, and my wife said, Sister Register, I want you to go by and pray for her. And uh, I said, okay, I will. And I was busy doing this and doing that and everything. And then she, my wife called me and said, uh, Sister Register, I want you to go by and pray for her. And I said, okay, okay, I will, I will, I will. I was just, you know, go busy. I just kept putting it off. Finally, I went by to pray for her. And I had another evangelist with me. He was with me. We together went by to see her. She was in a wheelchair, in a wheelchair, and paralyzed on one side. We laid hands on that sister and prayed for her and got all through. And when we got all through, she was crying and weeping. And she hadn't been living like she should be living for God. And I knew it and she knew it. And she was weeping and crying and everything. And I looked at her and I said, I said, Sister Register, I said, if God heals you, will you serve him? Will you live for him with all of your heart? And she said, yes, Lord. Yes, Brother Myers, I will. And she put her hands up. Oh, yes. And started just crying and praying. <clears throat> we laid hands on her again and prayed for her. And she came out of that wheelchair and jumped out of that wheelchair and began to dance all over the place and worship God and praise the Lord. That's the truth. In the name of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? And, and all of you have testimonies like that. We could go down the line here and spend all day long hearing testimonies of people from you and everything, how God has healed you or you saw a miracle. And there's been numerous miracles happen right here at this altar here. And I'm just trying to tell you here, it was all by the name of Jesus. So don't come around and tell me, hey, you got to change the name of 
to Yahshua. That woman got up and cooked supper for her husband. He walked in the door, front door from work that day and saw his wife had huffed supper on the table walking around. He liked to fell on the floor. He liked to fell out. He couldn't believe it. She got in her car and drove to church that night on the, on the Wednesday. I'm just saying that you, God can do anything. But it was all in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So somebody said, oh, you can't, you can't, you can't baptize in Jesus' name. You don't, don't ever fall for that kind of stuff. Then they say you gotta, you know, you got to worship on Saturday. Let me, uh, let me read these verses to you in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Look down at verse 3 real quick. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? You have to go back and do the old things under the law if God has already begun to do things through you in the spirit. Verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. This is 24 now, 324. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. <clears throat> it had its purpose, but the purpose, of course, was to bring us to, the, to Christ, not to us fulfill the law, but to bring us to Christ. Verse 9 but now after that you have, this is 4.9, I'm reading it out, 4.9 of, of Galatians. But now after that you have known God or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements where unto you desire again to be in bondage, that is under the law. You observe days and months and times and years. In other words, you're trying to keep, you know, seventh day, so forth. Uh, he's, I'm afraid of you, and so forth. And this thing about the Sabbath day is mentioned, you know, numerous times in the scriptures. Uh, I'm reading another verse here from Colossians. Uh, this is Colossians 2 and 16 and 17, so that you know it's not just one verse in the Bible. The Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. You see what I'm talking about? So if the early church is, is meeting on Sunday and they're worshiping and praising the Lord, glorifying God, then let's just go with it. Amen. Amen. And then the Bible gives us a warning when Paul writes to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. This is 4.1 of 1 Timothy. Spirit speaking, but that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to deducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. That did happen, you know. And that's why you have those who believe in uh, the priesthood and they don't believe in the marrying. That came along, and he prophesied that. Commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now listen to this next verse and remember this when you pray for your food. Verse four, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Praise the Lord. So when you go to eat and you have that big old lobster sitting in front of you and say, I love just say, Jesus, sanctify the food in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And I promise you, amen, that it'll never keep you out of heaven. It's in the word of God. We stand on the word, right? We stand on the word of God. Praise the Lord. So eat. But somebody comes like, oh, no, you can't eat this, can't eat that, can't eat that. No, you got to observe the seventh day. You can't and everything. Hey, 
You worship God on any day. We were in, we were in Dubai uh, several years ago, and uh, they have numerous churches, numerous churches, apostolic churches in Dubai among different nationalities of people because the Arabs are so wealthy over there that they hire other nations, people from other nations to come and do all the work. They sort of oversee everything and everybody else does all the work. They have people that are Filipinos, they have people from, uh, from Indonesia, they have people from Malaysia, uh, you know, and these people come over there and they work, they all kinds of work they do for the, for the Arabs. The Arabs are very wealthy because of the oil, you well know that. This is an Arab Emirates, the country of Arab Emirates. And uh, Dubai is their major city, and they've had so much money they have spent, they have built that city. I mean, like it was a New Jerusalem, a beautiful place, so forth. But their day of worship is on Friday, just like ours is on Sunday, and the Jews are on Saturday. Theirs is on Friday. That's the Muslim day of worship. So on Friday is a holy day. Friday is a holy day. And so they're, you know, they go to their mosque and they do all their stuff. But they also allow a place for these other religions to have their own religion. It's usually in a warehouse section of town, you know, down in the, in the cheaper section, you know, where you have to find a back road and get down there and they got these big warehouses and they have it all broken up. And then they have all these little congregations going. And these Christian congregations are all in there. And in one day, in one, one, of the, in one of their Fridays, we went to three different services in that day. We went to two Filipino churches, and we went to one uh, in, uh, I think it was an Indonesian church. And uh, we went there, and we spoke in English, and they would interpret it for us. And it was really quite an experience, but these people were there. They worshiped God. They clapped. They believed in Jesus. They were baptized in Jesus' name. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They worshiped God. What a privilege it was to be there, but they're all over the world like that, folks. And they're all over the world. And I'm just telling you that, praise the Lord, that it doesn't matter if it's on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, praise the Lord, just worship God. Hallelujah. Glorify God. Amen. In America, because we follow the early church's uh, way that they did it, it is on Sunday, and I thank God for Sunday, praise the Lord. It doesn't matter whatever day. There's no certain day, one day above the other. None's above the other. But we just worship God and glorify the Lord in all of his name. Praise the Lord. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, some people say, well, the seventh day is the Sabbath. Well, the word Sabbath means rest. Let me show you something about the rest. I want you to turn to Isaiah with me for a moment. Isaiah 28, 11. Let me give you a little insight on what the rest is all about. Everybody still with me? All right. 2811. For with stammering, this is a prophecy from Isaiah. 2811. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. This is a prophecy about speaking in other tongues. <clears throat> Way over here in the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. Speaking of the people of Israel, of the Jews, they would not hear. In other words, they did not accept the way of the Lord and the New Testament plan of salvation when he came as a nation. They did, you know, as I said, the Jerusalem church was five to 10,000 strong. Many Jews were saved. But as a nation, all of them, they, they, did, they rejected Christ. Now, this is talking about the rest. 
Now, let me give you a little something to go with that. If you look over in the book of Hebrews, let me show you something. Hebrews chapter 4. You see, the word Sabbath means rest. The Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost gives us that rest. Praise the Lord. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive the rest inside of you. <clears throat> and that's what God wants all of us to have, is that rest. And if you walk with God and you serve the Lord and you become apprehensive and uptight and weary, it's time to just back off and pray and talk to God and read your Bible and do some devotion and let God's rest come back into your heart and your soul. You say, Brother Myers, do you know what you're talking about? Yes, I do, because I've had to do it more than once myself. And I think all of us who have walked with God understand what I'm saying. There's times you just got to say, Lord, I just need to spend some time with you. This is what all of this devotion is all about. When we come together and we worship God and we, we're spending time, we've got this prayer going now in the church. What a wonderful thing that is. But we need that time that we can recharge uh, our spirit and let, or let God recharge our spirit with the Holy Ghost and let's have that rest. Now, this is what it says in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 4. I'm talking about the Sabbath now. A spiritual Sabbath. It says, verse 1, 4 1 of Hebrews. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, <clears throat> any of you should seem to come short of it. Actually, he's spinning off of here that the Lord was leading, leading the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt into the wilderness, and he said, I'm taking you to, to a land of rest. But they wouldn't believe. They didn't have the faith to believe, and a lot of them wanted to go back to Egypt, and a lot of them just died in the wilderness in unbelief. You well know the story. But now he's using it in the spiritual application. He says, therefore, let us, who are the modern-day Christians now, therefore fear lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> For we which have believed do enter into rest. And as he, has, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And then down in verse 9 and 10, if I can read 11, I'll read these three verses to finish it off here. There's more said in between, but I won't read all those verses. It says, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And that's what the Sabbath is all about. So it doesn't have to be a particular day. You know, to, the Bible says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You understand what I'm saying? So the rest is for us. There, is, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, verse 9, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. That is trying to work your way to heaven through by doing the works of the law. He goes on to say here in verse 11, let us therefore labor therefore to enter into that rest, that is the Holy Spirit, lest any man fall under the same example of unbelief. So when we receive the Holy Ghost, that is the rest of God. That's why, folks, and all of you that have the Holy Ghost, you know what I'm talking about. That wonderful peace, that flooding peace that comes all over your soul when you receive the Spirit. And from time to time in the house of God, you'll lift your hands and you'll feel that presence of God come all over you. And you say, you know what? <clears throat> Everything's going to be all right. There's been times I have wondered how in the world is everything going to be. Everything was upside down. How's it going to all turn out? I'm so worried. And I could lift my hands and I could feel the presence of God. And suddenly I knew everything was going to be all right. 
because I felt the rest of the Lord. And all I wanted to do then was just praise God and worship him, glorify the name of Jesus. Isn't the Lord good? Let's just lift our hands right now and praise him. Jesus, we love you, God. You're so good to us. What a wonderful Savior you are. What a wonderful friend you are, Lord. We thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your wonderful salvation. Thank you, Lord, for truth. Thank you, God, for your many blessings. In Jesus' name, God, we praise and worship you and glorify you, Lord, for all things, Jesus, how great you are. We praise your name. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for truth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to uh, finish up here by uh, talking about Romans chapter 5 for just a moment here. And uh, we're in Romans. Uh, you know, one was what we talked about for a couple of weeks, and then two and three, and then five here. It goes on to say here, I'm going to read uh, four it is. I'm on 4.13. For the promise that he that he should be, this is 4.13 of uh, Romans, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham nor to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Notice this very closely here. There is, uh, there, uh, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, to the, end the law might uh, be sure to all seed, not to that only which is of the law, but also that which is of faith of Abraham, who is the father of faith. What he talks about here in Romans and what he talks about also in Galatians is talking about Abraham, who is a father of faith. Therefore, he is a father of us all. And he goes on to say here that Abraham was the father, his father, the father of, of all of us. Uh, if, I, uh, if I can read, let's see, I don't remember where that verse of scripture is, but... It's the scripture where it speaks about Abraham being the father of us all, whether we are Jew or Gentiles. You see, the Jews would say, we have Abraham to our father. Okay, naturally, yes. But we are the children of Abraham and the, and the children of Abraham by faith. He is our father by faith because he is the father of faith. We are the children of faith. This is what Paul brings out both in Romans, Ephesians, and in Galatians. Therefore, the, uh, the Gentiles who are saved they are also the children of Abraham because Abraham is the father of faith and we are saved through faith. So he connects those points and brings out the fact that we are the children of Abraham uh, in that sense of the word, praise the Lord. So being of Abraham, therefore we are the children of faith and, and the Lord wants us to know that we can just come to God and pray and worship God. And the Jews would say to uh, Jesus or to anyone, we are of Abraham. That means that whatever we do is okay because we are of Abraham. And they believed they could sin a little bit and it was going to be all right. And that's why Paul said, if you sin, you're going to be judged just like God judges all sin. You've got to come by the way of the cross and by the way of Jesus Christ like everybody else does. You're not exempt, you Jews, all, all of the Jews. So he was bringing all this out to the Jews and letting them understand that. Praise the Lord. So God has let that know. Look at... Romans 5, 1, I know my time is gone here. 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God <clears throat> through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace. Now, let me just say one thing, and I'm going to close with this. We are not saved by faith. We're saved by grace. Listen to me very closely here. In fact, uh, let me give you a verse of scripture here. Ephesians, Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. 
In other words, it is the grace of God that saves us. We don't save ourselves. It's by the grace of God. God's unearned, unearned favor to us. We have not earned it. We don't deserve it. Unmerited favor. We do not, we do not have a right to God's grace. But because of his goodness and his kindness and his mercy to us, folks, he has given us his grace. What is the grace of God? It is Calvary, the shedding of the blood, the giving of the Holy Ghost, the plan of salvation to be baptized in his name and to know how to live and how to walk with God and how to serve the Lord, the right to be able to worship God and feel God when we praise the Lord. That is the grace of God. Don't ever take it lightly. Thank God for his grace. But the grace of God, we have the grace of God through faith. And that is that everybody has a right to the presence of God, but everybody doesn't have the presence of God. Everybody has a right to, uh, to receive the Holy Spirit, but everybody doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Everybody has a right to be saved, but everybody is not saved. Why? Because they have not exercised faith. That could be two people sitting in the back of the church. They can hear the same gospel preached, the same word of God, and one guy can say, I'm out of here. And he walks out and goes out the back door. Another person says, no, I believe what that preacher is saying. I believe I can be saved. I believe God loves me. And he leaves that spot and comes down and he prays and receives the Holy Ghost. God fills him with the baptism of the Spirit, his Holy Ghost. And he's baptized in Jesus' name. He begins to live for God and serve the Lord. And he's saved and righteous and walks with God all the days of his life. What's the difference in the two? One had faith and one did not. It's the faith in the Lord. But faith alone, just in the head, is not all there is to it. In the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, it's faith, which is a chapter of faith. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham left the land of Ur and, and came to Canaan and obeyed the word of the Lord, and he sojourned. By faith, the children of Israel marched around the walls of Jericho. By faith, uh, Moses kept the Passover. All of those were actions. By faith, we repent of our sin. You understand what I'm saying? It isn't something like I said, okay, I believe Jesus Christ existed 2,000 years ago, therefore I'm saved. No, no. By faith, I do what the Lord says do, what the Word says do, whatever the commandments are. For by faith, I repent of my sins. By faith, I'm baptized in Jesus' name. Baptized in Jesus' name is not a works. It's, that's the, it's talking about the works of the law when it talks about the works in the Bible, the works of the law. But it's the acts of faith. Praise the Lord. My repentance, my, it's like somebody coming in here and saying, the building's on fire and said, go out that door, you can be saved. And everybody goes out the door. And, and one guy's sitting here, don't you believe? Yeah, I believe. Well, why don't you go out the door? Oh, I don't think it's necessary to act upon it. I think it's just as long as I can believe it, I'm going to be saved. You, know? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Uh, or in a building, and whatever that goes. I'm just pointing out to me that faith also brings with it an action. So if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you say, okay, what must I do to be saved? Praise God. So God love you. Hallelujah. Uh, Paul understood that, said to those Gentiles, amen, you've got it. Amen. Keep it. Hang on to it. Love God. Go to church. Worship the Lord. And one day we'll walk streets of gold. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together, folks, and worship God together. Thank, thank you, Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. You've been a great audience. God, we love your wonderful name. Bless this wonderful church, Lord. Bless all of these dear saints today. Bless our morning worship service. Bless all of these, Lord, that are here today. In the name of Jesus, we praise and love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.